Welcome back to Mark's Madness. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. No. My voice cracked None a little bit on that one. I'm not no. feeling it today. <laughs> no, no, we're fine. We're fine. We're no, we're feeling it. We're gonna feel it, guys. Uh, here's the thing. There's not oh, gonna, we're gonna be any, feel it great because there's no there's no BS up top. There's no nonsense. There's no current events. We don't care if that nope doesn't yes. exist because you know why? This episode has already been recorded. Uh, it's been recorded one time, and no one will believe this. And you have every reason not to believe this. But we read 15 goddamn pages in one sitting, and then that recording. <laughs> In I think in protest, uh, burned itself alive. The decided it, it, this is he was not, like this is bullshit. This can't happen. This is wrong. This is an error. This is obviously something has gone horribly wrong. Um, we're gonna nuke this into the sun uh, and make them go back and read three pages. No, no. And we you have know a, what? We, you know what? It it is the time of year for us to lose recordings. Shut That's your whore nothing. mouth and do not remind me of the incident, good sir. Canonically, we lost almost all of capital. Um, yes, uh, it was fun. It was exciting. It's why I almost quit the podcast. I've talked about that on numerous other podcasts the last couple of weeks um, because I've been a little busy boy just going around and doing guest spots. Mm-hmm. Um, that yes. being said, I, actually, I did guest spots a long time ago that are just finally releasing. Um that being said, we are now going to launch directly into page 284. And you know when we're going to end, guys? We're going to end on page 299. One way or another. If this episode is an hour and a half, so fucking be it. Because we know for a fact we have read these pages before and we're going to read them again. So, mm-hmm. I, and we also did the thing of we took like two weeks off after that incident. So it's been long enough that I've probably forgotten everything I read before anyway. So this is fine. This will still be fresh to me because I'm a dumb, dumb with an idiot brain. Um, so here we go. While the committee, oh, oh, no, you want to go. No, you want to go. Yeah. Okay, fine. While the committee of 15 was groping its way into action, there was a chance for Congress to express its real feeling on the ballot. There might be a question in the minds of constitutional hair splitters as to how far Congress could go to coerce states and defining the right of suffrage. But Congress ruled directly the District of Columbia. Congress had the right to decide as to the political franchise of its territories. Would it not be the first step towards the logical and consistent end for Congress to establish Negro suffrage in the district and in all territories which were still set up? Thus, among the first bills introduced in the 39th Congress were bills to give the Negro the right to vote in the District of Columbia, and this demand was supported by petitions and speeches and especially well-written petitions from the educated Negroes in the district. Getting a little talented January, stuff back in there, but, you know, there it is. Yeah, yeah a little bit back there. A little bit. Uh, in, in January 1866, there came a notable petition from the colored people signed by John F. Cook, a wealthy octoroon of a free Negro family and 25 other citizens. It did not come from the freedmen or laborers, but from the property holders of Negro descent, many of whom had been born free. Kelly of Pennsylvania read it in part to the house. We are intelligent enough to be industrious, to have accumulated property, to build and sustain churches and institutions of learning. We are and have been educating our children without the aid of any school fund, and until recently have for many years been furnishing unjustly as we deem a portion of the means of the education of white children in the district. We are intelligent enough to be amenable to the same laws and punishable alike with others for the infraction of same laws. We sustain as far as a character on the records of crime and statistics of pauperism as any other class in the community, while unequal laws are continually barring our way in the effort to reach and possess ourselves of blessings attendant upon life and industry and self-denial of virtuous citizenship. Experience likewise teaches us that the debates 
the basement is most humane, which is most complete. The possession of only a partial liberty makes us more keenly sensible of the injustice withholding those other rights, which belonging to a perfect manhood. Without the right of suffrage, we are without protection and liable to combinations of outrage. Petty officers of the law respecting the source of power will naturally defer to the ones having the vote, and the partiality thus shown will work much to the disadvantage of the colored citizens. Now, I have very bad news about those citizens of the law, even with the, the right to vote. Um, there are and there's only a couple little things that i really uh that are that are meaningful there again i the the you can tell again that this is back to a i believe i want to believe that this is tactics i want to believe that this isn't you know okay we think that this is the reason we deserve the right to vote because i think again that that just muddies it's muddying the question it's should everyone should have the right everyone should have the franchise they are they are they are citizens of the country just like anyone else they should have the franchise this argument of well our particular class is nice enough feels a little like pull the ladder up like all right we should get the vote but not everybody should get the oh, vote. Yeah. which again so, i think is a so flawed there, premise yeah there's a line in there that can go two different directions where they talk about unfairly paying for the public schools of white children and at one point mm-hmm. that could be pulling the ladder up like hey you know we're rich why should we have to pay for that yeah um, my kid doesn't go to that other, school why do i pay for it that's an argument right. we hear today Right. Uh, on the other um, hand of that, if black people aren't allowed to partake in those schools and they still get charged to it, that's a pretty fair statement. you know. And it is. And I think the last paragraph is what pulls it through in that, especially that statement that the debasement, it, the debasement is most humane, which is most complete. When you have no rights, you don't understand the rights that are being withheld from you necessarily. When you have partial rights, you feel much more acutely those which you do not have. Um, yeah. And which I also understand comes back to our other our other uh, organizing concept of agitation, right? Like you should mm-hmm. never see these, these economic goals as the main goals, right? But if people can taste power, if people can taste winning rights, people can taste winning more equality, all of a sudden they're going to go, Hey, we deserve better than this. And we have power in the masses and that's going to help you yeah. to, to organize. So you can kind of turn that into something useful today too. For sure. However, there were some special reasons for avoiding this ticklish subject. After all, Washington was the capital of the nation. It had long been a center of Southern society. To give the Negroes political freedom and partial control there was a long step and a decisive one. The people of the district hastily organized a counterstroke and presented to the Senate a communication from the mayor in which he asserted that a special vote had been taken on December 21st to ascertain the opinion of the people of Washington on the question of Negro suffrage. He meant, of course, the white people, and the vote was overwhelming, 6,500 against Negro suffrage, 35 for it. The communication proceeded in a fine climax of Southern rhetoric to say this unparalleled unanimity of sentiment, which pervades all classes of this community in opposition to the extension of the right of suffrage to that class engenders an earnest hope that Congress, in according to the expression of their wishes with respect of consideration they would as individual members yield to those whom they immediately represent, would abstain from the exercise of its absolute power and so avert an impending future, apparently so objectionable to those whom, by the fundamental law of the land, they have exclusive jurisdiction. This is something that you see all the time and you're seeing it right now, um, and it, it's yep. fun to watch politicians do this. They go back and forth depending on where the winds blow. Um, some days, Oh, well, the will of the people says we must do this. We must act. And then other days, yep. it's everyone and their mother going, please, God, give us a $2,000 stimulus check. What's wrong with you? Of course we need that. And they're going, well, 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 hold on. We we have to act judiciously. We have to act in the best interest of the people, whether they know it or not. They just they pick whichever one of these they want. The will of the people is a convenient cudgel when they want it to be. And it's completely ignorable when it's inconvenient. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. A long argument ensued, which showed that Congress was not ready to declare itself on Negro suffrage. Further action was postponed for another year, and a bill for Negro suffrage in the District of Columbia did not pass Congress until December 1866. It became a law in 1867. Meanwhile, the Committee of 15 had first met December 1865. Charles Sumner was considered too radical on the Negro question, yeah, we know, uh, to be a member of it. And so the committee was headed by a conservative, Fessenden of Maine, who wished to stand by President Johnson and strongly, sometimes even bitterly opposed to the radicalism of Sumner Stevens, the great protagonist of curbing the political power of the South and completely emancipating the Negro, was the prime figure in the committee. Then there were Bingham of Ohio, the more or less conscious defender of property, Conkling of New York, a sophisticated, exquisite corporation lawyer, and Boutwell of Massachusetts. There were three Democrats, of whom the most distinguished was Johnson of Maryland, the strongest border state representative in Congress, handicapped by a legal mind. I always love that phrase. That's good. Um, and the narrow-minded Rogers of New York. A subcommittee of the Committee of 15 courteously waited on President Johnson, as he, and he consented to do nothing more on Reconstruction for the present in order to secure harmony of action. On December 26th, at the first meeting of the committee, Stevens brought forward his proposal to base representation on voters. And singularly enough, later in the same month, Johnson, in an interview with Senator Dixon of Connecticut, said that if, however, amendments are to be made to the Constitution, changing the basis of representation and taxation, and he did not deem them at all necessary at the present time, he knew of none better than a simple proposition embraced in a few lines, making in each state the number of qualified voters the basis of representation. And the value of property the basis of direct taxation such a proposition could be embraced in the following terms representatives shall be apportioned among the several states which may be included within this union according to the number of qualified voters in each state here's the other thing about this episode guys it is going to be a lot of us discussing the legal language of what eventually becomes the 14th amendment i think that's why we got through it so quick so bear with us if we're blowing through a lot of this um it is all having gone through it it's legal crap (laughs) It is legal nonsense, but we're going to read it because Du Bois wrote it and we're going to read it. Um, Yeah. Such amendment the president also suggested would remove from Congress all issues in reference to the political equality of the races. It would leave the states to determine absolutely the qualifications of their own voters with regard to color and thus the number of representatives to which they would be entitled in Congress would be would depend on the number of whom they conferred the right of suffrage. Um, The president in this connection expressed the opinion that the agitation of the Negro franchise question in the District of Columbia at this time was a mere entering wedge to the agitation of the question throughout the states and was ill-timed, uncalled for, and calculated to do great harm. He believed that it would engender enmity, contention, and strife between the two races and lead to a war between them. This is the thing that keeps coming up again. Johnson desperately, desperately thinks there's a race war coming. And oh yes. my God, that is the animus you, for everything you he does. best not step on the white toes Don't. lest the white people come. And race war. The stupid thing is they just kind of had a war over this shit, Johnson. We just Shut had a race up. war. We had a literal race war. <laughs> For fuck's sake! He believed that it would engender enmity, contention, and strife, and lead to a race war between them, which would cause great injury to both, and the certain extermination of the Negro population. I do love that that's his assumption, too, as well. If there's a race war, obviously the black people will lose. I'm just protecting the black people from their annihilation. Stairs Um, and Haiti. Never mind the war that just happened. Yeah. Uh, precedence, he thought, should be given to the more important and urgent matters, legislation upon which was essential to the restoration of the Union, the peace of the country, and the prosperity of the people. Here surely was logic and understanding in plain sight. 
But not only did the president eventually drop this proposal, but even in the committee, opposition appeared. Boutwell suggested at the third meeting of the committee, January 9th, that he prefer to retain population as the basis of apportionment, with the provision that no state should make any distinction in the exercise of the elective franchise on account of race or color. Boutwell was from Massachusetts and New England, and even though Blaine had protested vigorously against the Stevens proposition in the House the day before, January 8th, it was a curious situation, which Blaine explained in part, and in part he did not. New England had lost a good proportion of its male population by migration to the West, and it did not just allow the women to vote. New England, moreover, had a large immigrant population, which she was using in her mills and on a part of on which a part of her representation in Congress was based. She proposed to make this population still larger. She proposed also to reduce the voting power of this laboring population, not only by confining the vote to the native born and the naturalized, but also by a literacy qualification. Through Blaine, therefore, spoke the exploiting manufacturer and voiced an idea as a different from as different from Sumner's as one could well imagine. To base population on voters was, in the eyes of industry, to keep down the representation of the South, to be sure, but also to transfer the balance of power of political power from East to West. And in West, industry was not so sure of its dictatorship. Consequently, the Committee of 15 was compelled to take, take steps in another direction. So remember here, Blaine speaks for capital. New England yes. speaks for New England is directly in this is everything New England is pushing uh, is is directly the interest of capital. So that is where their interests lie, because right now capital does not have a stranglehold everywhere in the country. It has it in the Northeast. It doesn't have it in the West yet. And it definitely didn't have it in the South. And also another another nugget to t- take away here, of course, is that capital is interested in racism it seems like it isn't like oh wouldn't you lose power to the south oh you know wouldn't that take away some purchasers oh wouldn't that you know limit your labor power or whatever until you think about it for a second or as the voice lays it out here and the interest of capital is racist over and over and over again in this country it is it's what the country is based on on january 12th Yeah, exactly. On January 12th, Bingham introduced a proposal to the committee for a constitutional amendment guaranteeing civil rights. It said the Congress shall have the power to make all laws necessary and proper to secure all persons in every state within this union equal protection of their rights of life, liberty, and property. This proposition, destined to become part of the Section 1 of the 14th Amendment, had been introduced early in December in the House of Representatives. The Committee of 15 referred the Bingham proposal to a subcommittee consisting wholly of Republicans. At the same time, uh, the committee insisted that the basis of representation provided for in the Constitution should be changed. Johnson of Maryland adhered to the Stevens proposal of making voters the basis. New England and New York objected, and this matter was left to the consideration of the same subcommittee. Meantime, three other propositions were submitted. One, representation should be based on population, but if colored people were disenfranchised, they should not be counted in the apportionment. That was proposed by Morrill. That makes sense. Representatives should be apportioned according to the population, except that Negroes, Indians, Chinese, and other colored persons, if they were not allowed to vote, should not be counted in the apportionment. Williams. Just seems to encompass more people. Okay. (laughs) And three, representatives were to be apportioned among the states according to the whole number of citizens of the United States, provided that whenever in any state civil or political rights or privileges should be denied or abridged on account of race or color, 
all persons of such race or color should be excluded from the basis of representation or taxation. That sounds like the loophole one. That sounds like the one where you can figure out ways to give people the right to vote and then put poll tax and literacy tax and everything else on top of it where they can't mm-hmm. actually do it. And so you sneak mm-hmm. it in. Conkling, I see not, what you're doing. It's not ex explicitly race and yeah exactly i'm not denying you the right to vote i'm just putting qualifications on it that's different i'm sorry Mm -hmm. yes um on january 16th the proposed 14th amendment was considered in two parts the first part had alternate alternative propositions a apportioning representation according to the number of citizens and making it inoperative and void any laws whereby any distinctions is made in political or civil rights or privileges on account of race creed or color B, the alternative proposition, was the Conkling proposal. The second part of the amendment was Bingham's proposal that Congress shall have the power to make all laws necessary and proper to secure all citizens of the United States the same equal protection and the enjoyment of life, liberty, and property. These propositions went to subcommittees and were reported back January 20th. The civil rights section of the of Bingham appeared in the strongest and most specific form whenever it took Congress shall have power to make all laws necessary and proper to secure to all citizens of the United States and every state the same political rights and privileges and to all persons in every state equal protection in the enjoyment of life, liberty, and property. It was voted 10 to 4 to consider this proposition of Bingham separately and by a vote of 11 to 3 the second resolution on a portion apportionment was chosen as a proposed 14th Amendment. This excluded from representation Negroes who were denied the right to vote. Stevens wished to amend this bill by declaring who were citizens. Conkling, however, moved to strike out the phrase citizens of the United States and insert persons in every state, including Indians not taxed. Excluding this Indians was a move, not taxed. Excluding Indians not taxed, because... Of course, yeah, exactly. right. <laughs> uh, this was a move to ensure the counting of foreign-born as a part of the basis of apportionment and was in accordance with the New England idea. Stevens, Fessenden, and Bingham were against it, but it passed 11 to 3. On, on January, January 22nd, this section on apportionment was reported to Congress as a 14th Amendment and was the first effort of the Committee of 15 to prepare for reconstruction by constitutional amendment. This was before the Freedmen's Bureau Bill or the Civil Rights Bill had passed Congress, and the bill for suffrage in the District of Columbia, while it had passed the House, had not been considered in the Senate and was not destined to be for several months. This fact is sufficient answer to the accusation that the Committee of 15 purposely delayed action on the problems of reconstruction within less than a month after its work began, it laid its first proposition within Congress. This is obviously attacking a particular critique of the Committee of 15 that I'm sure is glossed over well in our time, but worth noting there. Stevens reported this first form of the 14th Amendment to the House uh, and asked rather preemptorily that it pass before sundown. His reason was that there were numbers of states' legislatures in session and that they should consider it immediately. But he was disappointed. There was too much opposition in his own group. Conkling elaborated and made the specific argument which Stevens had first brought forward. The four million people who had suddenly been released from slavery, while falling within the category of quote-unquote free persons, were not yet political persons. This emancipated multitude had no political status. Emancipation vitalizes only natural rights, not political rights. Enfranchisement alone carries with it political rights, and these emancipated millions are no more enfranchised now than when they were slaves. They had never had political power. Their masters had a fraction Their masters had a fraction of power as masters, but since the relationship of master and slave was destroyed, this fraction of power could no longer survive in the masters. There was only one place where it could logically go, and that was to the Negroes. But since it was said that they are unfit to have it, 
It is a power astray without a rightful owner. It should be resumed by the whole nation at once. If a black man counts at all now, he counts as five-fifths of a man, not as three-fifths. Four millions, therefore, and not three-fifths of four millions are to be reckoned in here and now. And in 11 states, most of these four million were presumed to be unfit for political existence, since the framers of the Constitution did not foresee such contingency. Oh, we're back to the fucking framers. And expected (laughs) the emancipation would come gradually and be accompanied by education and enfranchisement. They provided for no situation whereby 11 states might claim 28, 28 representatives besides their just proportion. 28 votes to be cast here and in the Electoral College for those held not fit to sit as jurors, not fit to testify in court, not fit to be plaintiff in a suit, not fit to approach the ballot box. 28 votes to be more or less controlled by those who once betrayed the government and for those so destitute, we are assured of intelligent instinct as to not be fit for free agency. Shall this be? Shall four million beings count four million in managing the affairs of the nation who are pronounced by their fellow beings being unfit to participate in administering government in the states where they live? Who are pronounced unworthy of the least and most paltry in the part of political affairs? Shall 127,000 white people in New York cast but one vote in this house and have but one voice here, while the same number of white people in Mississippi have three votes and three voices? Shall the death of slavery add two-fifths to the entire power which slavery had when slavery was living? Shall one white man have as much share in the government? As three other white men, merely because he lives where blacks outnumber whites two to one? Shall this inequality exist and exist only in favor of those who did the foulest and guiltiest act, which crimsons the annals of recorded time? No, sir. Not if I can help it. Ho! Yeah. I like the foulest and guiltiest act, which crimsons the annals of recorded recorded time. time. Yeah. Guys, they uh, they gave some speeches back in the day. They gave some speeches. They sure shit did. This proposition, he continued, rests upon a principle already embedded in the Constitution and as old as free government itself, a principle that representation does not belong to those who have no political existence, but to those who have. The object of the amendment is to enforce this truth. Every state will be left free to extend or withhold the elective franchise on such terms as it pleases, and this is without losing anything in representation if terms are impartial as to all if however there is found a race so vile or worthless that to belong to it is alone a cause for exclusion from political action the race is not to be counted here in congress thus spoke new york in cold contrast to thaddeus stevens but with quite as merciless logic the argument made it clear that the basis of representation must be changed in some way unless the south was coming back with increased political power what change should be made The West wanted Stevens' original proposition, which had been introduced by Congress by Stevens himself and was also separately by two Ohio representatives, and which based representation on voters. But this proposition would have increased the power of the Middle and Western states at the expense of New England. Dare not tread on capital. And New England had her warning from Voorhees. Oh, good. This is where we get Jason back. Crystal Lake's back. Crystal Lake's back. Uh, well, then, a ma- majority of Republicans undoubtedly favored this. The proposition could not pass Congress without the support of New England, and the West yielded. Elliott of Massachusetts submitted an amendment in which was practically the 15th Amendment, but it was agreed that this could not pass Congress. And so finally, the report was sent back to the Committee of 15. Meantime, on January 22nd, the Bingham Amendment on Civil Rights was considered in the Committee of 15 and referred to a subcommittee. 
after Boutwell had tried to make its wording milder by saying that Congress shall have power to abolish any distinction in the exercise of the elective franchise. I do love On January this- 27th. Oh, sorry. No, yeah, I do. I, I do think this is relevant. The, this concept of defining what is and isn't doable, what is and isn't like achievable, yeah. is funny because again, yeah. they and, and Du Bois does it very subtly here, but it's worth noting because he goes, you know, this uh, Elliot submitted an amendment, which was the Fifteenth Amendment, and they determined it couldn't pass Congress. Well, yeah. pretty obviously did pass Congress. So <laughs> don't again, don't pigeonhole what is and isn't possible here, people. Mm-hmm. On January 27th, this section was reported from the subcommittee with modifications and appeared now in the following words. Congress shall have power to make all laws which shall be necessary and proper to secure to all persons in every state full protection and the enjoyment of life, liberty, and property, and to all citizens of the United States the same immunities and also equal political rights and privilege. It was postponed. Bingham explained in 1871 that after postponement, he had introduced this section of the amendment in the Committee of 15 in the words which now stands in the Constitution. He had changed the form and hoped that the amendment might be so framed that in all the hereafter it might be accepted by the historian of the American Constitution like Magna Carta as the keystone of American legislation. The decision of Marshall versus the City Council of Baltimore, a celebrated case, had induced him to take counsel with Marshall. Thus, curiously enough, the constitutional restraints designated to to protect the persons were changed into a form which eventually made it to the federal government, the protector of property against state enactments. And we're entering a quote here. The Congress shall have the power to make all laws which shall be necessary and proper to secure the citizens of every state and all privileges and immunities of citizens in the several states. This substitute, which Bingham reported to the committee February 3rd, was adopted to the committee of 15 on February 10th by a vote of 9 to 5. It was referred to Congress. It came up before the House of Representatives February 13th as a proposed constitutional amendment and was debated at length February 27th to 28th when the House refused to table it but postponed it until April. When the Committee of 15 received the amendment on apportionment back from the House, it made a minor change of taking out the reference to direct taxes, which was irrelevant and of little importance, so that again, January 31st, the proposition came back to the House of Representatives. Stevens Stevens was unequivocal. unequivocal. Sorry. I do not want them, the southern states, to have representation. I say it plainly. I do not want them to have the right of suffrage before this Congress has done the great work of regenerating the Constitution and laws of this country according to the principles of the Declaration of Independence. Again, Shank of Ohio tried to base representation on voters, but this was deferred. This was defeated. Stevens said that he favored it, but that it could not pass Congress. Again, getting into a lot of Stevens as the man of practical... What yeah. can we do versus ideological, which is a very interesting turn we start seeing here. Yeah, that's um, not House who Stevens passed- seemed to be in the past, but obviously he's no. been at Congress for a long time. Yeah, I think he's so. I think a certain level the system kind of changes. Again, he he I don't know if I can critique him for wanting to enact something um yes. that, that made a change, that made a, a material improvement in people's lives. So I don't I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. Um in the meantime, the whole aspect of the political situation changed. 
The Freedmen's Bureau bill had passed Congress and, to the astonishment of the country, had been vetoed. The Civil Rights Bill had passed the Senate and Johnson made his speech of February 22nd, defiantly aligning himself now with the South and their northern Democratic allies and against his own party. Black goes had been passed in Mississippi, Alabama, South Carolina, Florida, Virginia and Louisiana. On the other hand, northern business was afraid. Good. Viewed as a practical matter, asked the nation, what would be the effect upon government securities in the immediate, of the immediate admission to Congress of 58 Southern representatives and 22 senators, all of whom could be counted on as determined repudiationists? It would hardly be a safe thing for the national credit to have such a body of men in Congress, reinforced as they would probably be by a considerable number of Northern men ready to go for at least qualified repudiation. That's qualified repudiation of the Southern war debt, which they absolutely mm-hmm. don't want. Again, if there's one thing uh, capital wants, it's to get paid on their interest. And if you mm-hmm. repudiate debts, they all of a sudden uh, poo-poo, their pee- poo-poo their big boy pants um, and go into, a, go into a tizzy. Seward <laughs> himself, I want to drop for when Seward, I just want an ominous stinger for whenever just, I have to mention William <laughs> Just fucking like the, William the Seward they like, dun, 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 Seriously, dun, dun, that man, Seward. behind that man lurks all things creepy and also Alaska. Yes. Um, Seward himself said it was greatly disappointed and embarrassed by the black codes of the South. Oh, if only you did something. He found that the South was getting stronger at Johnson's confidence. Nemesis again dodged, dogged Seward's steps as when he was defeated for president, for the presidential nomination by the anti-slavery men whom he had given a slogan. It was then that Toombs had sneered. Actian had been devoured by his dogs. The dogs were at it again. Blaine says that when Congress reassembled after the holidays, there was a great change in its attitude. Many feared that the president and the Democrats would win. The leading commercial men who had become weary of war contemplated with positive dread the reopening of a controversy which might prove as disturbing to the business of the country as the struggle of arms had been, and without the quickening impulses to trade which active war always imparts. Mm -hmm. The the bankers of the great cities, whose capital and whose deposits all rested upon the credit of the country and were invested in its paper, believed that the speedy settlement of all dissension and the harmonious cooperation of all departments of the government were needed to maintain the financial honor of the nation and to reinstate confidence among the people against obstacles so menacing against resistance so ominous against an array of power so imposing it seemed to be an act of boundless temerity to challenge the president to a contest to array public opinion against him and to denounce and deride him to defy him david take it Yes. Uh, the Committee of Fifteen paused to get its bearings. In the first place, what was the attitude of the country toward Negro suffrage? In 1865, Wisconsin had rejected a proposal to let Negroes vote. Minnesota, the same year, had defeated a constitutional amendment giving Negroes the suffrage. Connecticut also, in 1865, gave a majority of 7,272 against Negro suffrage. Later in 1867, Ohio defeated Negro suffrage by 50,629. In Michigan, 1868, a new constitution omitting the word white was defeated by a majority of 38,849. In Nebraska Constitution of 1866, only whites were allowed the suffrage. In New York and some other states, there was a special legislation on the voting of Negroes, which was not changed. Evidently, the country was not ready for Negro suffrage. 
Moreover, the pinch of economic difficulties following the war was beginning to be felt. The price of gold, which was at 170 in 1864, rose to 284 in 1865. The income tax had been increased in 1865. The United States was paying out vast sums of interest on its annual debt. Cotton was high selling at 43 cents a pound in 1865. It dropped to 30 cents only in 1866 with a crop of 1.9 million bales, as compared to that marvelous crop that precipitated the Civil War of 5.7 million bales in 1861. Gee, I wonder what the difference was. I wonder why we were baling less (sighs) cotton. Yeah. Uh, The price of agricultural products had increased, but not nearly as much as the prices of manufactured goods, and the farmers were feeling the difference. Gambling and speculation were widespread. The United States Treasury was trying to reduce the circulation of the deprecated greenbacks, and under the Act of 1866, retired some $75 million. But early in 1868, the contraction of the currency was prohibited, and the West began to cry for inflation. A Western editor wrote, Senator Tumbrill of Illinois, You all in Washington must remember that the excitement of the great contest is dying out, that the commercial and industrial enterprises and pursuits are engaging in a large part of public attention. The times are hard. The money is close. Taxes are heavy. All forms of industry here in the West are heavily burdened. And in the struggle to pay debts and live, people are more mindful of themselves than of any other fine philosophical schemes to look at making a slur for black people a voter juror and office holder so again this is you know we're struggling financially you're sitting there trying to yeah. to free black people and, and give them their you know charity and, and reach with your good heart and we're trying to eat you know it's just it's racist very, crap from, yeah from it's, it's raging bullshit. yeah and it's, it's also bullshit. very interesting yeah no go ahead no, it's it's bullshit and pressuring economic struggle, and they're they're basically saying you got to do something, uh, but but also it's kind of it's kind of going to be the same pressure that pushes back and and makes the stuff go through because the interest of capital is going to match, you know, just getting the vote and getting it settled. It's also very interesting to watch that uh, we often paint Reconstruction as a battle between the North and the South, and that's kind of how we've always painted this country is North yeah. and South, or or you know, and then eventually as it expanded, coastal versus middle, and all that other stuff. This yeah. is very clearly a three pronged fight right now. You have the mm-hmm. Northeast, you have the Northeast capital base, you have the South, and you have the West, and all three of them have different interests that are. Yeah. Fighting to be reconciled here. The West just seems to have less political pull than either of the other two. So they seem to kind of keep getting the short end of the shrift every single time. Um, yeah. And of course, riding through all of it, you have two classes. You have owners and, mm-hmm. and you have owned uh, much more literally in the South um, yeah. and much more extremely in most places. And you have them upholding their power and getting ideological buy in with racism you know you can't have these black people taking stuff away from you um of course it's great to 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 expand out west these indigenous people you know they're they're just robbing our opportunity um okay well now out back east they're in washington they're trying to to finish the civil war and 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 be all charitable black people but we're starving out here where's where's our fix and you know and of course in the south they're they're turning white workers against black people you know what are you if you're not above the slave this is these are people are below you how dare they be equal to you and they're going to take food off your table and compete for your jobs and so there's this overriding you know it, it uses racism and and mm-hmm. the concept of competition to 
to uphold their power and uphold support from the the oppressed people but it's oppressors versus the oppressed and it is very much in three different chunks you know um you have the expansionist chunk who's going out there to siphon resources and, and push indigenous people off the land you have the slaveholder the plantations um in the south and of course you have capital you have industry in the north north northeast you know yeah. region Johnson knew nothing of finance. Oh, goody. <laughs> what does what does Andrew Johnson know a lot yeah, about? What is, he, what is his expertise? What is what, being, what is his being qualification? Being a poor southerner, that that's it. Would yeah, to kiss some plantation yeah. owner ass. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and left the treasury entirely to McCullough, who was struggling. Uh-huh, yeah, October thirty first, eighteen sixty five, with a national debt that stood at two point eight trillion. There was still or, no two point eight billion. I apologize. Sorry, 2.8 billion. There's a lot of zeros, guys. Um, <laughs> there was still t- 2.8 large amount of monies. There was still doubt of the legal tender constitutionality of the greenback. Taxation was enormous and applied to almost every available subject. There faced the country a tremendous problem of reorganizing the debt, reestablishing the currency, and reducing the revenue. Stevens had rushed the Committee of 15 as fast as as or faster than his majority wished. The first draft of the 14th Amendment reached the Senate and was attacked by Charles Sumner. Ooh, interesting. There was no greater proof of his courage and his leaning and learning and keenness of mind were unquestioned. From the day of his great speech on Kansas to his unwavering advocacy of civil rights for Negroes and their political enfranchisement, he towered above his contemporaries. He was unwilling to compromise like Stevens and for that reason was not made head of the great committee of 15. But there was no question about his integrity and his idealism. Yeah. And now this is... Yeah, this is something that that's really important because, again, you know, I mean, I always had learned it as as Thaddeus as, as being the guy that that pushed for things more. Obviously, Sumner is, for good reason, a, a bigger name. And you saw earlier in this book, Thaddeus Stevens had the more materialist approach, right? Like you can make them free, but if you don't give them any land, they're just going to go back and, and be oppressed by the same property holders. Whereas Sumner was this, you know, goofy free market whatever right but as far as the actual rights of human beings and and you saw how easy it was to convince sumner of the materialist stuff once that was shown to him right that was something that stevens was like look this is the way it was and sumner was like oh okay and he turned immediately there um and so when you're hearing this uh from you know du bois and you're seeing earlier in this chapter him you know uh stevens compromising you understand that that maybe it is sumner who is the more adamant the better you know, defender of civil rights over, over Thad dad, maybe, you know, maybe the, the reputation is, is well earned. And, and that's something where we've got to learn a little better about our own history. Maybe I still uphold Thad daddy thought <laughs> I have determined. I determined on, on last on the bonus episode books too, um, that I feel like we may have, uh, between if we can, if I can get a portrait of Thaddeus Stevens up in the cave, and maybe yeah. Sumner gets on that portrait too. I'm just sure. building, we've been building a Mount Rushmore in the cave, and right now the only the only face on our Rushmore is Stalin, um, yeah. which I don't think adequately in, in, encompasses either no, of our actual views. <laughs> right? Um, like we 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 love Stalin, we really do. But do there's a lot Uncle more Trump. to there's a lot more to it. That's a meme. Um, um, but I, I do feel like if you put if if we have a, a Mount Rushmore that includes Lenin, Stalin, oh, don't go to Mount Rushmore. Thaddeus Stevens, 
fine. What other big place where I can put it? It's the know. common thing, and circle, you know it. A circle of honor. I don't know. Ring of ring of honor. There you ring go. Of the honor. There you go. Ring, ring of, of honor. The Packers ring of honor. That's we, right. We've got we've got you know Stalin and Lenin and then Thaddeus Stevens and Charles Sumner. And that is a weird. That is a we're the only ones in that Venn diagram right now. I'm just saying. <laughs> There is nobody else exploring this particular Venn diagram right now. I also, is- I also would like to addendum that uh, that Chuck and Daddy are one entry. I mean, they they go together in pairs like a Bernard. Oh no no no! Chucky Chucky and Thad Daddy go are are a package deal. They they encompass. Yeah. They encompass radical reconstruction thought, um, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. But it is it is interesting to see this d- a little bit of tension between them, and it's, yeah. it's the exact opposite of how we read it earlier, even in this book. In this mm-hmm. book, it was very much portrayed that you know Stephen or you know that Chuck had this hmm, this free market approach, right? Like not even they have that. no rights to land. This Obama you know, the- approach. Is what I felt yeah. like is what we really pigeonholed him as because he he gave a lot of talks about we got to get back to the cores of this country and these 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 he was giving speeches about the founders and all this other shit whereas Fad Daddy is just this like singularly focused and again reading his biography I understand it the man gets on ideological lines and then is hell bent on achieving them he is not hell bent yeah. on he he finds the thing that he believes in he doesn't waver on that it's not saying that thaddeus stevens did not believe 1000 percent as much as anybody else in negro equality in in the enfranchisement of the black man in america he believed it as much as anybody else did but Mm -hmm. he also wanted to get that thing achieved and you can see that again this is tying in his biography he suffered a number of setbacks earlier in his life based on his idealism he was hell-bent on an ideal the biggest one was his uh, attack of the Masons, where he yeah. knew in his heart that the Masons were evil and they were the, the root of all evil and that he needed to root them out. And yet that attachment to that ideal cost him a lot of things. It cost him a, a higher government. Thaddeus Stevens would have been much higher in government were it not for his attack on the Freemasons. Um, and it also caused him to not get more practical things done. He he is the founder of public education in the state of Pennsylvania, but he could have gone further where he were to drop the idealist stuff and focus on the things he could have achieved. And I think that does color where he comes from a little bit. Now, I'm not saying that he's right or wrong, but I'm saying it does inform where Thaddeus Stevens comes from as opposed to necessarily where, you know, where where Sumner comes from. And I need to learn more about Sumner. Again, that's my next, after I get through the Stevens biography, I want to learn more about Sumner because, again, the only thing I think most people know about Charles Sumner is he got his uh, brains knocked out with a cane. (laughs) And that's, that's a, that's a failing of the American education system as, as we all know. Yeah, but, um, but it is interesting that that comes to a head where, you know, Thaddeus is like, woohoo, we've got an amendment. We've, we're going to get this this suffrage in. And then Sumner immediately gets it. was like, what the fuck is this bullshit? Yeah. Yeah. He's like, and we, that's we, where we are. Exactly. Sumner had no sympathy with an amendment which made which made the disenfranchisement of Negroes possible and regarded it as another compromise with human rights and a discrimination on account of race and color with which hitherto had been kept out of the Constitution. Thus, the first proposition of the North, which Northern industry made met the direct opposition of abolition democracy. 
Charles Sumner, in a tremendous speech, February 6th, 1865, laid down the thesis that under no circumstances should it be possible to disenfranchise a man simply on account of race or color. That there, for the first time, we had a chance to realize the democracy which the fathers of the republic foresaw, and he spoke prophetic words on a future disenfranchisement. David, give me some prophetic words on future disenfranchisement. I am not insensible to the responsibility which I assume in setting myself against a proposition already adopted in the other house and having the recommendation of a committee which the country looks with such just expectations and to which, let me say, I look with so much trust. But after a careful reflection, I do not feel like I can do otherwise. There are among us four million citizens now robbed of all share in the government of their country, while at the same time they are taxed according to their means, directly and indirectly, for the support of the government. Nobody can question this statement, and this barefaced tyranny of taxation without representation it is now proposed to recognize as not inconsistent with fundamental right and the guarantee of a Republican government. Instead of blasting it, you go forward to embrace it as an element of political power. If by this you expect to induce the recent slave master to confer the right of suffrage without a snare, he will do no such thing. Even the bribe you offer will not tempt him. If, on the other hand, you expect to accomplish the reduction of his political power, it is more harm. It is more than doubtful you will succeed, while the means you employ are unworthy of our country. So, quick pause. I know we're trying. We're going to get through ninety nine. We're, we're five getting more there, David. We're getting there. We're actually getting there. Pretty good. Pretty easy. We're getting pace, but, no, no. You, um, we're getting there. If you keep going, let's go. Okay, but hey, hold on. So quick pause. Um, what he's calling out here, I, I, I think from, from his words and from what you read and also from running through it last time, is the fact that this amendment basically says, you know, if someone's not able to vote, they don't get counted in your vote. And Sumner is going, whoa, 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 why are you playing around with this bribe bullshit saying like, well, if you don't give the black people the right to vote, we'll take away your state's, you know, congressional votes and, and representation and power. He's like, they still won't fucking take that. They'd rather have black people not have a right to vote and not interfere with their political power and not interfere with their, their way to bludgeon and lord over them. They don't give a shit about less representation in the National Congress. They will just not give them the right to vote. You need to make an amendment that says they can vote, not the number of people who are voters get to get to be counted in your representation, but that you will give them the right to vote. Um, continuing on with Sumner's speech, there are tricks and evasions possible, and the cunning slave master will drive his coach and six through your amendment stuffed with all his representatives. Should he cheat you in this manner, it will only be a proper return for the endeavor on your part to circumvent him at the expense of fellow citizens to whom you are bound by every obligation of public faith. Seldom has a great political philosophy or a great political prophecy. prophecy been so strikingly fulfilled. Stevens yeah. in the House had, by his diplomacy, ranged back of his policy the industrial leaders of the North who feared that a return of the South would mean attack upon the tariff, the national banks, the debt, and the whole new post-war economic structure. Sumner in the Senate, on the other hand, took little account of the political game. He set his strategy on the high ground of democracy and democracy for all men, and it was his opposition that killed the first draft of the 14th Amendment, which permitted the disenfranchisement of the Negroes on the penalty of reduced representation. Stevens, with infinite pains, had gotten this much through the Committee of 15 and the House of Representatives. Sumner spoke his convictions despite the desertion of friends and party. Senator William of Oregon expressed admiration but could not follow him. 
The echoes of his lofty and majestic periods will linger and repeat themselves among the corridors of history. But they yeah, don't. He won't stand by him. I was about to say, Senator well, one, no, they won't echo throughout history because no one fucking knows about them. Because <laughs> yeah. they didn't get him anywhere. <laughs> there was a wide love discussion you, throughout I the country. I love you. I love you, Charles Sumner. You're you're doing good work yes. and you're you're up on the hill with us, but yeah. damn it. <laughs> <laughs> there there was a wide discussion throughout the country. Garrison was converted, and to him Sumner's speech seemed unanswerable. To Whittier it was irresistible. Phillips' voice was filled with enthusiasm, while Henry Ward Beecher said that the speech rose far above the occasion, covering a ground which will abide after all contemporary questions of special legislation have passed away. The proposed amendment went down to defeat on March 9th, receiving only 25 votes against 22 instead of the necessary two-thirds majority. Sumner's wild influence, while it did not command the full sympathy of Republicans or Democrats, nevertheless was enough to block compromise between the northern industry and the abolition democracy. Fessenden was bitter and Stevens furious. No man demanded more of Negroes than Stevens or was more thoroughly an advocate of complete democracy. But as he said, the control of the republics depends on the number, not the quality of the voters. This is not a government of saints. It has a large sprinkling <laughs> of sinners. Just I a sprinkling. I fucking thing. love that quote. I fucking love that <laughs> quote. <laughs> As the head of the committee of 15, he was trying to get a proposition for which a two-thirds majority of Congress would vote and start the country as far on the road towards democracy and abolition as the, of caste as was possible under the circumstances. He complained that his proposition had been slaughtered by a puerile and pedantic criticism. Ooh. Andrew Johnson was deeply incensed by Sumner's speech and sneered at it the next day. I am free to say to you that I do not like to be arraigned by someone who can get up handsomely rounded periods and deal in rhetoric and talk about abstract ideas of liberty who never periled life, liberty, or property. This kind of theoretical, hollow, unpractical friendship amounts to but very little. Anyway, fuck you, Ra Andrew Johnson. Fuck you, fuck, fuck you, fuck you. Andrew you. Johnson. Fuck you, Andrew Johnson. Yes. All right. Uh, uh, here we go. This is, this is the sprint to the finish, guys. Here we go. <laughs> He was receiving a group of Negroes who were trying by direct appeal either to get sympathy or to probe by his animus against the race. The Freedmen's Bureau bill had passed, but Johnson had not yet indicated what action he would take. The Civil Rights Bill and the first draft of the 14th Amendment were before the Senate. Perhaps the delegation had hoped to influence him. Douglas had seen Johnson on Inauguration Day in 1865 when President Lincoln had pointed Douglas out to him. The first expression which came to his face, and I think this was the true index of his heart, was one of bitter contempt and aversion. Seeing that I observed him, he tried to assume a more friendly appearance, but it was too late. In, an, in the interview with President Johnson, February 7th, 1866, guys, this is the interview. This is going as long as it has to, but this, holy shit, this is a thing. Yeah. Um. We're President George T. Downing. There were President a bunch of people. What was said on the occasion brought the whole question virtually before the American people. Until that interview, the country was not fully aware of the intentions and the policy of President Johnson on the subject of Reconstruction, especially in respect to the newly emancipated class of the South. After having heard the brief address made 
by him to Mr. Downing and myself, he occupied at least three quarters of an hour in what seemed a set speech and refused to listen to any reply on our part, although solicited to grant a few moments for that purpose. The president shook hands with the colored men and then George T. Downing, a leading Negro from Newport, Rhode Island, opened the discussion. He said to the president, we desire for you to know that we come feeling that we are friends, meaning a friend. He said that they are represented colored people from the states of Illinois, Wisconsin, Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New York, the New England states, and the District of Columbia. They were not satisfied with an amendment prohibiting slavery, but wanted it enforced with appropriate legislation. We are Americans, native-born Americans. We are citizens. We see no recognition of color or race in the organic law of the land. It has been shown in the present war that the government may justly reach its strong arm into the states and demand from those who owe it allegiance their assistance and support. May it not reach out a like arm to secure and protect its subjects upon whom it has a claim. Then Frederick Douglass came forward and said, your noble and your noble and humane predecessor. Ooh, don't bring up the guy that came before him. He gets very testy about that. <laughs> Placed in our hands the sword to assist in saving the nation, and we do hope you, his able successor, will favorably regard the placing in our hands the ballot with which to save ourselves. The president was evidently embarrassed and floundered. Uh-oh. He was not going to make a speech. He had jeopardized life, liberty, and property, not only for the colored people, oh, God, but for the great mass of people. He was a friend of the colored man, but I do not want to adopt a policy that which I believe will end in a contest between races, race war, mm -hmm. which if persisted in will result in the extermination of one or the other. He remembered his speech to a Nashville Negroes to Nash to, no not to a to Nashville Negroes before the election and repeated his willingness to be a Moses to lead him from bondage to freedom. Not there's no white savior thing there, right? No, no, nothing no. there. No, but not into a war of the races. He said that one can talk about the ballot box and justice and declaration of independence, but suppose by some magic touch you can say to everyone, you shall vote tomorrow. How much would that ameliorate their condition at this present time? Then the president approached Douglas and said, now let us get close up on this subject. I don't like that. That's weird. Um, yeah. He said opposed. He said he opposed slavery because it was a monopoly and gave profit to an aristocracy. You should oppose it for other reasons. By getting clear of the monopoly, they had abolished slavery. No, 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 you didn't. Douglas Folks, started. Remember, to remember, when someone says, I'm on your side, I totally agree with you, but I don't want a race war. They are a lying, <laughs> racist sack of shit, and you should never, ever trust them. Douglas started to interrupt, but the president was not through. He went on to the position of the poor white in relation to the slave owners and how the slaves despised the poor whites. Mm. Douglas denied this mm. personally, but the president insisted that anyway, most colored people did. And this made the poor white man opposed both to the slave and to his master. And that therefore there was enmity between the colored man and the poor white. Already the poor white. Already the colored man had gained his freedom during the war, and if he and the poor white came into competition at the ballot box, a war of races would result. Oh, no. 
I forgot how bad it was. It's so bad. It's so bad. David, take over for a second. Moreover, was it proper to put on a people without their consent Negro suffrage? Those yes! poor white people will suddenly have to deal with black yes, people. Yes, it voting. was. It was proper. <laughs> Fuck your consent. You don't get to consent to another man's suffrage. Fuck off. Do you deny that the first great principle of the right of the people to govern themselves? Here Downing interrupted. Apply what you have said, Mr. President, to South Carolina, for instance, where a majority of the inhabitants are colored. The president twisted uncomfortably and said that the matter which he referred comes up when a government is undergoing a fundamental change and that he preferred to instance Ohio rather than South Carolina. I like I like my my example better than yours. Use use my example. Come on, please. Yeah. Was it right to force Ohio to make a change and the elective franchise against its will? He could not touch the question as to whether it was right to prevent the majority of South Carolina from ruling because, to his mind, no number of Negroes could outweigh the will of the whites. Now, there is Du Bois calling his bullshit. Thank you, Du Bois. Hammer it home, buddy. he stumbled on without mentioning this suppressed minor uh, premise and said, it is a fundamental tenet of my creed that the will of the people must be obeyed. Is there anything wrong or unfair in that? Douglas smiled, still thinking of <laughs> South Carolina. A great deal that is wrong, Mr. President, with all respect. But the president insisted, it is the people of the states that must for themselves determine this thing. States rights. States rights. Right. Uh, I do not want to be engaged in a work that will commence a war of races. Again, with this made-up race war. And we already had the closest thing to the race war, which will not race break war. out from this Negro vote. And who won that? And how many races were not annihilated? So shut the fuck up, Andrew Johnson. Race war. But no, 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 race war. war. Uh, <laughs> then he indicated that the interview was at the end. He was glad to have met them and thanked them for the compliment paid him. Douglas returned the thanks and said that they had not come to argue, but if the president would grant permission, we would endeavor to controvert some of the positions you have assumed. Mr. Downing, too, suggested persuasively that the president, by his kind explanation, must have contemplated some reply to the views which he advanced. <laughs> Did you, you must have you must have actually thought about some reply you to us right what, you thought about you, the things you, you just you, said right like yeah, you said those like, out loud you, once or did twice did you hear the words we say and think about what you said and put them together <laughs> it's okay uh douglas continued i would like to say one or two words in reply you enfranchise your enemies and disenfranchise your friends. My oh. own impression is that the very thing that your excellency would avoid in the southern states can only be avoided by the very measure that we proposed. I would like to say a word or so in regard to the matter of the enfranchisement of blacks as a means of preventing the very thing which your excellency seems to apprehend that is a conflict of races. The president naturally did not want to give publicity of views of Negroes antagonistic to his own and said shortly that there he's he's one of the, I, if I just block everyone black that, that disagrees up, with me on up, Twitter, up, I'm, up, I'm up, speaking up, for black up. people. <laughs> <laughs> there are other places besides the South for the Negro to live. But, said Douglas, the masters have the making of the laws and we cannot get away from the plantation. What prevents you, asked Johnson? Oh no! <laughs> this is great. Just move out. Why, Just on. go somewhere else. Just go somewhere this else. Is, this is every racist trope ever. Um, Douglas replied that his masters then decides for him where he shall go, where he shall work. 
How much shall he work? He is absolutely in the hands of those men. The president replied, if the master now controls him or his actions, would he not control him in his vote? Douglas answered, let the Negro once understand that he has an organic right to vote and he will raise up in his party in the southern states among the poor who will rally with him. Then there is this conflict that you speak of between the wealthy slave owner and the poor man. The president replied eagerly, you touch right upon the point there. There is conflict. And hence, I suggest immigration. Aha. I gotcha. Wouldn't he gotcha. just tell him where to vote? Gotcha. You should gotcha. go somewhere else. Not here. Right. Right. The president then bowed his dark figure visitors out, saying that they were all des- desirous of accomplishing the same ends, but proposed to do so by following different roads. Douglas, turning to leave, said, the president sends us to the people and we go to the people. Yes, sir, answered the president. I have great faith in the people and I believe they will do what's right. <sighs> Afterward, the colored... De- colored delegation published a reply to various points brought up by the president and especially stressed the matter of enmity between the negroes and the poor rights and that is where we're going to cut off and jump in next time yes ladies and gentlemen two times in a row two-time daytona 500 champions nathan and david we got through 15 (laughs) pages twice we got through 15 pages jefferson davis I'll be whoever Jefferson Davis's uh, uh, vice president was. It's fine. It's we fine. just had to suffer through a super racist YouTube debate between a president and Frederick Douglass. <laughs> and that now is, you tried to pin me as Jefferson it's hilarious. Davis. It's, oh, oh, God. Okay. We got through it, guys. We got through it. Uh, two times. <laughs> we, did it. we made 15 pages. We have proved now for all for God and man to see that we can read 15 pages in an episode if we, we choose to. And when we choose to read three, we choose it. Damn it. It's not because we can't <laughs> read. It's because we want to talk about other things because stuff came up. I don't know. Or because we truly spite you. Or, <laughs> or because there's interesting things in there and not various yeah. legalese to talk about. But yeah, I mean, the only interesting thing here was like Johnson's bullshit. And the that was debate. kind of the debate was where otherwise otherwise the rest was important but it was a lot of legal jargon it's a lot of stuff but we got through it Mm -hmm. again ladies and gentlemen so that being said this has been mark's madness pod thank you everyone for listening to this Mm -hmm. i cannot thank you enough your your continued listenership boggles and amazes me in various you know in equal quantities um that being said the single greatest thing you can do for this podcast if you do listen to it and enjoy it go on apple podcasts app and rate and review it it doesn't help if you just click the five star i know and you got to type a thing just type in nonsense words whatever makes you feel better um it, 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 it just be a thumbs up emoji it can be whatever you want um, but that is the single biggest thing that'll get us to more people so that more people can hear us read 15 pages at a time and then be proud of ourselves mm-hmm. for reading 15 pages in an hour. Three um, to 15 pages at a time. Let's be accurate. Sh- 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 um, that being said, let's say you wanted to reach out to us more directly. You can do so. It's marksmadnesspod at gmail.com. Um, let's say you wanted to get a, at us on an app that limits the number of characters you can type and thinks that that's somehow an innovation. You can do that on Twitter. It's at Mark's Madness Pod on Twitter. Uh, DMs are open. Apologies if we're slow to get back. Sometimes the backlog gets large. We're bad. Um, I, I will do my best to, to keep it, keep it low. Um, 
let's say you want to just talk um, and you just want to exist in a space where a bunch of other people who think similarly to you exist and can talk and talk about their day and play Final Fantasy XIV and do other fun things. Well, you can join our Discord. Oh, did I say our Discord? That's right, because, baby, it's the Mark's Madness Discord now. We have been sharing a Discord with Dumb and Awful for uh, over a year now. Um uh, in in what is only fair, we have now taken ownership of the Discord for, for the foreseeable future. So the Mark's Madness Discord is linked in our Twitter bio. Uh, if you need it in email, just reach out through email and we'll we'll get it to you that way. Um, but yeah, you can just hang out uh, with a bunch of like-minded people. It's the same Discord as it was under Dumb and Awful. Uh, we, we just took ownership of it for now. Um, same people, same, same great flavor. Same great bat time, same great bat place. You know, you know the drill. Um, David, I'm going to let you disclaim next episode because we had to read 15 pages yeah. this episode. No one needs, no one needs to be disclaimed after that. Um, anything else? That's all I got. Well, that being said, this has been Mark's Madness. My name is Nathan. My name's David. Bye. Bye.